Well, welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter of 2 Peter. So please open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And the title of our message this morning is, God intervenes in the affairs of man. God intervenes in the affairs of man. So let me ask you a question. How does that title fall on you? How does that title fall on you, dear Christian brother or sister? Do you believe that God intervenes in your life? In other words, do you believe that God personally cares about you and knows what you're doing? That he's riding in the car with you? That he's at school with you when you're teaching? He's in the the business office, the CEO's office, when you're talking about difficult things. When you're on the job in a construction site. When you're at home, caring for the children, teaching them. Do you believe that God is actually with you and cares about you actively? And is working for his glory and your good? Do you believe that, dear Christian? And dear non-Christian, first of all, Thank you so much for coming. It is an honor for us to have you. Thank you for exploring what it means to be a Christian. But have you considered the implications of this title? That God intervenes in your life. That that, that God actually intervenes in your life. And what that means for you. We live in an age that functionally says God doesn't actively intervene in our lives. At best, he's a distant landlord. You never see him. If you're religious, you send him a check every once in a while. But he's largely absent. Or at best, he's a force out there. He's, quote, the man upstairs. He's, quote, this spiritual force for good out there. But a personal God who intervenes in the affairs of man functionally is not what our culture, our way of thinking teaches us. He's not really actively involved and he's not going to come back. So live your life basically as you want to. In a sense, you are your God. You got some principles to go by, craft them together, go live your life. No need to be accountable. No need to even Look for help. If you're going to help, you got to help yourself. That's functionally what our culture would teach us. That's the, that's the air we breathe. And that is the false teaching that Peter is addressing to the first century church in this letter of 2 Peter. The right knowledge of God, but specifically, is God actively intervening in our world? Will Jesus come back? And see, the thing about the functional teaching that God doesn't actively intervene in our worlds, this this air that we breathe, that God's not really here involved with us day in and day out, unfortunately, it's toxic. It suffocates our faith and our hope. It can result in us waking up in in the dead of night, gasping with desperate questions, swirling through our heads, 
And even more desperate fears gripping our hearts. Questions that mock us as we search for meaning and a rhyme or a reason for life. Questions that can make us believe that we're all alone. That if it's going to be, it's up to me. I'm all alone. In a world that increasingly does not make sense. I pray that God would use his word this morning to communicate to you that you are not alone. God is actively intervening. And if you're not a Christian, let me just tell you what most Christians are thinking right now. His greatest intervention was when he himself came to this earth as a man, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, And lived the perfect life that we could never live. And died the sacrificial death on the cross. And rose from the dead. And ascended into heaven. And one day he's coming back. That's the greatest intervention. But he continues to intervene in our lives. He is with us. God, in fact, intervenes in our affairs by his word. And may that truth that we're about to read comfort your hurting soul give peace to your troubled soul embrace your lonely soul this morning through his word by his spirit so hear now the words of comfort and peace from our god who is here with us by his spirit second peter chapter 3 verse 1 This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But... By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. When we were in Nicaragua about a month ago, my lifeline to my family was an app that I downloaded onto my iPhone, and it's called WhatsApp. Now, you may be using WhatsApp, You may prefer to text, but these apps really are amazing. I was able even to call my family through the WhatsApp. We had very limited internet service. We got back to our home base. We had internet service, and so all of us jumped on that internet service and at times blew it up because we were all trying to get pictures and texts and even talk with our families through WhatsApp. This text is God's WhatsApp to us. 
This text is God communicating to us. You may have limited internet service in your brain right now, but God the Holy Spirit can make that connection even stronger and just pour the data through, okay? You'll never run out of data when it's God's WhatsApp and God's internet data source. And he's speaking to us this morning. Much like WhatsApp. We have a WhatsApp for our community group. And I love it because everybody's on it and somebody will just post something. Hey, I need prayer for this. And boom, 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 encouragement comes. Boom, 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 I'm praying for you comes. Boom, 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 you like that. Boom, 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 just like that. Okay. Now, some of the more old school people like Marcos and me, we text, okay? So it's more boom. But no, seriously, this guy will send me a text often. Hey, bro, I'm thinking of you. Here's a scripture I'm praying for you. So whether you're a boom, 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 WhatsApp person, or just a boom text person, or you send up smoke signals if you're too old, God is communicating to us that we are not alone. He's communicating to us in this text that he is sending comfort and encouragement and, and unifying us around the point that he does, in fact, intervene in the affairs of men. In fact, the main point of this text is God intervenes in our world through his word. God intervenes in our world through his word. Now, this WhatsApp message has several recipients. Note them, and they're contrasted in this text. Look at the first recipient here, verse 1. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. Beloved. So this WhatsApp is going to several people, but one of those people are the beloved. Those are the Christians. Those are those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus and who are God's people. But there's another group that's getting this WhatsApp. We find them in verse 3 and 7. Actually, these two verses describe the same group, just a little different name for them. Verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. The last days are the days that began when Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and they will end when he returns. So we're in the last days. But then listen to how God describes them in verse 7. Being kept until the day of judgment... And destruction of the ungodly. So if you look on your WhatsApp and you were to look and you would see all the recipients of this WhatsApp, you would see beloved and you would see scoffers ungodly. And they're all getting the same message here. And the message is this, that God intervenes in the affairs of man. In fact, Peter says to them at the end of verse 1, And both of them, speaking of the two letters, I am stirring up your sincere mind for a way of reminder. So here's another contrast. The beloved have a sincere mind. The ungodly are scoffers. You know, the the people just make fun of everything and everyone. Where, Where to be really intelligent means that you're cynical and don't believe anything. You just scoff at everything. Ungodly, scoffers, beloved, sincere mind. Oh, may we be beloved in the sense that our minds are sincere this morning and that we would say, God, speak to us, stir up our sincere mind. We need that WhatsApp. I've come off a tough day on the mission field in Nicaragua and I would look at my WhatsApp and I'd have encouraging texts and messages from my family, from my friends. I'd have, I'd have just 
pictures maybe sent to me that would just give me hope and, and refresh my, my, my weary soul. That's what Peter's doing to the first century church who are facing the scoffers, who are breathing in the air that says God's really not coming back. He really doesn't intervene. Live any way you want to live because that's how they were living. And they certainly didn't want God to come back because they were breaking all his commandments. Receive the encouragement. And if you are here and you might find yourself in the scoffer ungodly recipient list, Oh, here's good news. God is merciful. His greatest intervention, remember that, was to save his people. And I pray that he would turn you from a, an ungodly scoffer to a beloved, sincerely minded believer this morning. So what, what did the scoffers deny? Well, we've been talking about this for the last three weeks or so. They deny that Christ is coming. Look at verse 4. Here's what the scoffers say. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Hey, listen, guys. Remember Corey talked about these bullies that were roaming the hallways? Listen, guys, don't worry about your schoolwork. There is no final exam. Trust me on this. There is no final exam. Or they're the ones that come on TV and say, charge everything you want to charge. The final bill will never come. Or at least live as if it won't come. Suspend the belief that it will come and charge it up, baby. That's what these people are doing. Their point is that nothing has changed since creation. Therefore, it's not going to change. And Jesus is not coming back. And in saying this, they're denying actually the greatest intervention, which is Christ's first coming. And that's what's at stake here is the gospel. And Peter fashions an argument to say to them, they are wrong. He says, you are are wrong. In fact, Peter prepares us for the argument when he says in verse 2 that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that this, first of all, that scoffers will come. So he's saying, listen, let me prepare the argument for you. These people are saying stuff that is shaking your faith. But remember, the prophets said that they were going to come. Go back to the Old Testament. And Jesus himself said they're going to come. Make that a study this afternoon. Where does Jesus talk about the scoffers and the people that would deny his coming? It's there. And Peter's saying, remember they said that? Well, they're saying it. Now I'm going to give you the grace of God, God's word, three arguments to oppose them and to say, you're wrong. He is coming back. The word is Christ himself. He came in the greatest intervention and he will come again. Listen, God intervenes in history because God started history. He opened up the curtain and began history at creation, and he's the one that will come and close the curtain when Christ comes back. And so that's his first point. You're saying that nothing has changed since creation? You fools. Creation itself speaks that God intervenes in the affairs of man. Point one, creation creation. In verse 4, it says that these teachers, these false teachers, deliberately overlook 
the fact that God created the heavens and the earth. You see that? Verse 5, excuse me. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. So what they're saying is, nothing has changed since creation. It's all remained the same, so therefore he's not going to come back. And Peter says, I'm going to use your words against you. You mentioned creation. Have you forgotten that creation is God's intervening? God did intervene when he created the heavens and the earth by the word of his mouth. The creation of the world itself speaks of divine intervention. But they, they deny that. They deliberately overlook that. You know why? Because they're living, look at the end of verse 3, they're following their own sinful desires. If you are following your own sinful desires, and you don't want to obey God's creation ordinances then of course you're going to deny that God's going to come back. Because you're going to say, there's no final. I'm not studying for the whole semester. I don't even want to think about a final. There's no final. There's no final bill coming. I'm going to charge my visa. Get everything I want. Because the final bill's not coming. So they're denying it because of their evil desires. And this has been the case throughout the history of mankind. They deliberately overlook. Paul would say it this way. We're talking about creation as the first argument for the proof that God does intervene in history. He does intervene in the affairs of man, and he is coming back. Listen to what Paul said about these people in Romans 1, 18 to 20 on the screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Look at that, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Oh, Because God has shown it to them. Where? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And if you read Romans 1, you understand because their behavior is reprehensible. God gives them over to that behavior. Those who deny creation suppress God's truth. They suppress it. They suppress it. As Gary said... Evangelism isn't arrogantly trying to prove our point. Evangelism is simply acknowledging what is true, what everybody knows is true, but they suppress it. They suppress it. They suppress it. They want to live for their own desires. They don't want moral accountability. See, God himself created the universe. God himself gave us creation ordinances. So, for example, if you do not want to accept that God created man and from man woman and brought together man and woman in holy union and said that they shall have become one flesh, man and woman, in marriage, if you do not want to be accountable to that, if you are more committed to a a way of thinking or perhaps a a persuasion that will have other people like you and and keep you from getting fired, uh, then you will say, oh, no, 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 no. He's not coming back. Let's just, I'll, I'll just tell you what I think. It could be a man and a man. It doesn't have to be a marriage. I mean, and that whole covenant is, yeah, you know, it's kind of antiquated. So you're going to deny Christ coming back if that's the way you want to live. But, but God did create man and woman. And, and Peter says he 
will intervene at the last time because history began at God's creating the world by his word. There's a fancy term for that, ex nilo. It means creation from nothing. Creatio ex nilo. How's that for a little Latin for you? I know a little Latin. He owns a store right on the corner. But it, it means that God created from nothing. He created from his word. Where does it say that, Al? Well, I'm glad you asked. And by the way, as you think about these things, I want you to write down these scriptures so that when you interact with folks and when you're, when you're speaking about why we believe what we believe about marriage, why we believe what we believe about life, it's not because we're trying to make it up, but the creator set it up this way and he created everything from the word of his mouth. Genesis 1, 1 through 3 on the screen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the words. Now listen. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. If you don't believe these first few sentences of the Bible, you can't believe what follows. That is why there's such a war against this very belief and doctrine. Peter reminds us that God intervened by his word to create his world. And I bring you back again to the greatest intervention. And God intervened by his word. And Jesus is the word incarnate to save his creation. And God will intervene by his word when Jesus comes back. And by the way, when he comes back, He will ultimately redeem his creation. There will be a new heavens. There will be a new earth. We're going to have work. We're going to have fun. We're going to have joy. Heaven is going to be really active and really fun. I'm hoping there'll be oceans and I live right on one. Some people say there's not going to be water there. I'm not sure because water has a symbolism maybe of being whatever chaos. But you know, it's going to, listen, heaven is going to be real earth renewed. No more hurricanes. The mountains you can run up and then run down. Fresh Chilean wine from those mountains. And you never get drunk. That's true. I know it's hard to imagine when you're living in a ghetto. I know it's hard to imagine when you can barely pay the rent. I know it's hard to imagine when there's corruption in your country. I know it's hard to imagine when there's sickness racking your body, but we are going to have new bodies, a new heaven, a new earth, because God is over all of this. Listen to Psalm 33, 6 through 8. Write this down so you can share it with your classmates, your workmates, your friends, your family, around dinner. Share it humbly, but this is truth. Psalm 33, 6 through 8. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God's intervention in creation is a doctrine that should draw our hearts to worship God. That, that's the result of this. It's not just something in our brain for us to win an argument. It's suffering for our souls and it bows our knees and we worship him. Stand in awe of him. And then finally, Hebrews 11.3. And by the way, let me just say this. And we worship him, not ourselves. Because our propensity as humans is to worship ourselves. I'll make it up as I go. I'll tell you what marriage really is. Listen, we've advanced so much now that this is really what it is. What we're saying is, I'm God. 
I don't need God. I'm God. But no, no, creation, the doctrine of creation caused me to bow my knee and I worship God the creator. Hebrews 11.3, and it's by faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are visible. Excuse me. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let us worship God, church. He is coming back. He created this earth. He will bring it to an end. God intervenes in history. God created history. And so Peter's saying, you use creation in your argument, scoffers. Creation itself speaks of God's intervention and that he will come back. Point two. Point two. Why do we believe that God intervenes in the affairs of man through his word? Because of the flood. Now, this is the argument that Peter uses. You find this argument in verse 6. And that by means of these, his word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. So by God's word, the, the world is created, and by God's word, the world is destroyed. They perished. Genesis 7, 17 to 23, the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Can you imagine the Himalayan mountains covered by water, 15 cubits? Which I think is about 45 feet. Maybe. Look it up. It's a lot. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. God destroyed everything on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. All mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Man man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Important point here. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. Church, no time to go into depth about this, but I believe that Noah and the ark point to Christ and the church as the only safe place for the righteous when the flood of God's judgment comes. For the flood of Noah's day was but a dress rehearsal for the final judgment coming by God's word when Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Christian friend, you have nothing to fear on that day for you are safely in Christ and his church. Let us comfort one another with that. Let that fill you with faith as you suffer. Non-Christian friend, you have much to fear on that day. Please run to Christ in repentance and faith and find the only shelter there is for the coming flood of God's judgment. At Christ's return. That's Peter's second argument. His third and final argument is Christ's return. In verse 7, Peter just says it. But by the same word, the word that created the earth, the word that judged the earth and destroyed the earth in the flood, by the same word, Jesus is the word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction For the ungodly, on that day, the final deliverance of the righteous will be manifested and the final destruction of the ungodly will be manifested. There is a day of reckoning for scoffers. 
and a day of redemption for believers. God's word, Jesus will settle all accounts and his final intervention. The bill will come due one day and none of us can pay it. The good news is God has made provision to pay that bill for those of us who repent and believe in Jesus Christ through the greatest intervention known to mankind, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and yes, his coming. And those who humble themselves in repentance and faith will enjoy that blessing on that day, receiving his payment for their debt. They will stand. Everyone else outside of Christ will fall. Our hope as Christians is that one day we'll, see, we'll experience the glory of Christ. We preached in First Peter that before glory comes suffering, because Jesus suffered first on the cross and then was glorified in the ascension. He's at the right hand of the Father. And so we as Christians must suffer first here, but we have the promise of glory as Corey spoke about during communion. But that glory can only be faced in Christ. The glory of God consumes wicked man apart from Christ. But we have Christ. That's the good news. Run into the ark. Run, run. Repent and believe. There's salvation. Because God's merciful. Because he's merciful. Because he didn't wipe everybody out. He kept Noah in the ark. Praise God. So what's the appeal? Well, here it is. You might be thinking, all right, Al, what do I do with all of this? Well, first of all, I'd like you to think these truths through. Listen again to this. Write down these scriptures. Send me an email. Ask me about it. Interact with it with your family and friends this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, whenever. And let God's intervention in your life fill your mind and heart with comfort and courage and conviction. Gary spoke of that in his testimony. Conviction to stand up for the truth, whatever the career consequences. If you, if you listen carefully, you understood what he's saying. And know this, you are not alone. God does intervene. And he's with you in Christ. You are not alone. He's intervened on your behalf for his glory, for your good in Christ, who's the very word of God become flesh. Second, if you think of others and you should be thinking of others, how I can share this with them, then you want to start praying, God, how can I share? Not only declaring with my words, but demonstrating with my life that I believe you're you're returning. I believe in that greatest intervention of all of Christ on the cross for me. I live as if that day is coming. I don't charge my credit card recklessly as if the bill will never come. But I live responsibly grateful to my Savior who has come to save me from that final bill that I could never pay. Let me ask you this. Which one of God's interventions that I've spoken of today is hardest for you to believe? Maybe just work on on one of those. Is it hardest for you to believe his intervention in creation? If so, let's do some work on it. Let us know. Let's let's read about it. Maybe you're a recent Christian and you, you know, Gary spoke of the, the educational college, university world, very antagonistic toward God. You know, you may have just all your life heard that that's just a fairy tale. It's not. It's not. How about his intervention at the flood? Maybe you haven't 
thought about the flood much. It's in the Bible so that we could think about it and think that God created the world by his word and he, he destroyed the world by his word. How about his coming intervention on the final day of judgment? Is that hardest for you to really wrap your head around and believe? Along with that intervention of judgment is the intervention of glory for the believer. Deliverance for the believer, destruction for the ungodly. Or, maybe it's hardest for you to really believe and live every day according to the greatest intervention ever. The intervention of Christ's perfect life for you. What does that mean? His sacrificial death on the cross. What does that mean? Am I released from my sins? Is my conscience cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Or his, his resurrection from the dead that I'm forgiven because Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean? Or his ascension into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Or his coming. Maybe, is that one the hardest one for you to believe and apply? Let's work that through together. How can you grow in your faith in the belief that God intervenes in your world by his word? Now, in just a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing a final song. If you would just like prayer, please just come forward while we're singing. Corey and I will be here. If if a lot of people start coming up here for prayer, some of the community group leaders, come on down and help us pray. Deacons, just come on down and help us pray. But let's just do some business with God. We have plenty of time, and we need to think these things through and apply these things. Let's pray. Worship team, would you join me up front? Father, I pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, that this, this WhatsApp, this word that you, that you give to us, Lord, it, it would comfort our hurting souls. It, it would give peace to our troubled minds. It would give courage to our failing faith. Lord, it would give conviction that we're not alone. We would sense your embrace for those this morning who feel particularly lonely. Their life is marked by loss. May they see the cross where you suffered the most, where you were totally alone. The Father forsook the Son so that we would not be forsaken. And they would experience this in their hearts and their minds. And they would move out to their hands and they would communicate it to others. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. That we would believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Lord, even as we stand to sing, this song, Father, is is really more of a declaration. We're declaring it. So everyone can hear it. In heaven, on earth, and below the earth. But, But so that we could... Declare to one another, too, that there is a day all creation has been waiting for. We believe that day's coming, and we trust the one who will close the curtain on history. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.